Welcome to the Mike Abadir Show. You'll want to sit tight this hour as hosts Mike Abadir and co-host Gino Bacola talk to the experts, celebrities, and figures from the worlds of sports and business of sports. We cover the NFL, baseball, basketball, soccer, and horse racing, so we have all of the bases covered. Now, we just need your participation. Here is your host, Mike Abadir. Thursday, June 11, 2020, we are here on the Mike Abadir Show. Gina Bacola, the co-host, and the main man, Mike Abadir, next to me, like he is each and every week. And Mike, um, some positive signs now in the last week or so in the world of baseball. And we know one thing for sure, uh, the NBA is going to be back at the end of July, July the 31st. So lots of positives um, for us to talk about on a show like this, which is a generally a sports show. It looks like in the next you know month, month and a half, we should have a lot of the big sporting events back. Yeah, it's kind of interesting to me. If uh, any of the listeners out there are kind of following this uh, saga between the players and the owners and uh, Commissioner Manfred when it comes yeah. to baseball, it's it's really an interesting, you know, read between the lines kind of thing. I don't know if you saw uh, Manfred's uh, conversation with Carl Ravitch, I believe it was yesterday on ESPN. And one of the interesting things that he pointed out was he said, look, we understand that the fans need this. Yes. We understand what baseball means. We understand the opportunity we have. And my comeback to that, Gino, is, well, if you understood it, we'd have a deal in place. And it, I think... You know what I mean? I like, th- well, I, know I think it's, 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 it's a little bit hollow. That's overly simplistic to yeah, say. Yeah, it's like but- a little hollow what they're saying. Um, I kind of... Of course, I would look. I would look if they were playing, if they had the deals done and everything set up. I, I just kind of keep getting like... And I guess it's this is an interesting conversation to have with someone like you who's a sports agent because I'm very curious to see kind of like where you stand because like for me, I'm starting to get more and more pissed off at the owners as this continues to go on and less and less mad at the players because a, a lot of the people out there like the general fan that you know looks at them and they go, oh, come on, the stupid millionaires against billionaires and they're arguing and it's like they need to take a pay cut anyways. Like that. I hate when that discussion comes into it, first of all. That bothers the crap out of me because Joe Blow out there on the street, let's let's use Gino Bacola as an example, right? I don't have the kind of skill level that the baseball players do. I'm not the top 1% of the top 1% at a skill game, sport, whatever it is, that still is able to, you know, make billions of dollars for all the revenue, TV, like, I mean, honestly, we talk about it. Mike Trout is worth $100 million. Like, on an open market, in a free market situation, for what he does to your team. You know, someone like, you know, a Mookie Betts or someone like that. Like, they're worth more than the 30 to $35 million they make. Yeah, but here's the thing, Gino. And this really, this is where sports and politics kind of intersect. And I'll tell you why. Because... The sentiment out there by the fans really does mirror the political landscape. And when I look at the political landscape, what I see is that there is a strong sentiment moving away from capitalism, moving towards a more, more of a socialistic type environment, more of a society that is disgusted with billionaires. It's really interesting because... Which is really funny because the president is kind of, you know, you know well, what I mean? But like, look, here's the thing. Even before uh, Trump was elected, 
I mean, Bernie Sanders has been on this crusade talking about how corporate profits are through the roof and that, you know, New York Wall Street investors are really like dominating the economy. The gap between the rich and the poor has widened. And he says that the amount of money that the billionaires make is reprehensible. Like he's actually saying that it's immoral, the amount of money that the billionaires in this country and globally make. And when I hear that, I'm kind of like, wow, we've come, kind of come a far away from capitalism because America is supposed to be you know, the land of the free, the land of many opportunity. You come here, you put in the effort, you make your money, and we're happy for everybody that does it. And I think that's kind of shifted, Gino. And I think that, you know, that, that political sentiment kind of is reflected in society, it's everything. and it's in everything sports, now. It's scary. and everywhere it's else. Scary. Now they're looking it's... at these players and they're like, dude is making a quarter of a billion dollars to play a kid's game. I mean, that's that's the line they use, right? And I, and it's it's no longer like, hey, I'm happy for him. I'm happy that he's got generational wealth. It's no longer even like limited to jealousy. I think when, it's straight think... up like this is immoral. And, and if that's your moral like framework that you're working with, you kind of can't defeat that mentality. Well, it's funny. It's it's a lot of it's misinformation too. Like, true. I think that's kind of why I side with the players more than the owners. In that, I feel like the owners. I, I when we talked about this a couple either last week or a couple weeks ago, this to me feels like the perfect time for the owners to what I had called it an investment, right? To 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 invest in their future. To say we're going to pay you the full pro rata, what we what we we promised to the players. We're going to get baseball started real soon. We're going to have a eighty game season and playoffs. We're going to get it all in. We're going to have the fans have something to watch. Like we're investing in getting baseball back and and getting like a good feel out there from the fans. See, because I, I think people. You you look at the players right, and like I, the Mike Trout one. He's supposed to make thirty seven million dollars this year, and then. You know, who knows what he's going to end up making if they get the full pro rata. He makes 19 million, you know, something like that. But but it's not the Mike Trout, because like I said, he's worth that money. I think a lot of people just assume that if you're a professional baseball player, you're a millionaire. You if you're a football player, you're a millionaire. You've got millions of dollars. And I think you absolutely can speak to that and say, man, most of the league, most of these leagues are comprised of people who are making the minimum salaries, who are not millionaires like the common concept misconception is out there. And those are p- players that definitely deserve probably a little bit more. So it is it is a weird, you know, it, it, and it's kind of like that in every in every industry that you're in, where the top, top, top get paid the most. The, the players that are still really good don't make more, and there's not really as much of a middle ground, especially in baseball anymore now. It seems like it's either you're really young, and you're cheap or you're you're like a huge established contract there's so like so little middle ground so to me i just i don't like the oh come on play the players just need to suck i, I don't i don't like that sentiment when the fans are out there like i don't care the players just need to suck it up well maybe do a little bit more research look into what the players and the owners are arguing about the players have already agreed to to take a pay cut they've agreed to whatever to to just to get paid pro rata no, I agree with you. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. I mean, look, it kind of goes back to what I was saying. There's this like moral false equivalency going on. In addition to what I was saying earlier, it's also like this comparison, right? Well, doctors and teachers and firemen are more important than... Come on, stop. This is not 
a matter of what's more important yeah, in society. That, exactly. If we're looking at the most important society, my garbage man would be right at the top of the list. Number because one right now. Could you imagine if my house gets, you know, no garbage being removed? It's we've seen when those roof. guys go on, when, they, when those folks go on strike, what happens? Yes. It's crazy. It's steel. Of course, it breaks the back of the city. So, I mean, it's not a matter of what's the most important. It's something that you just said at the top of the show, which is these people have a very, very unique skill set that is highly sought after. And a small and window. ultimately entertains us. Like, we, we're the consumer. And what's the alternative? Imagine if when you watch a Major League Baseball game, you were to have, like, scab players come in if there was a strike. Right. You'd see a noticeable difference. You'd be like, this sucks. I remember when the NFL had scab players in 87. That was it, during the course of what would have been a really historic year for Jerry Rice. And it kind of ruined it. We didn't have scab players in 94 in baseball, but we saw a historic season for like Tony Gwynn and Matt Williams and others interrupted. And it kind of sucked. But my point is, when we don't have it or when we have scab players, we're certainly not happy. No. These guys have a skill set that come that they bring to the table and they can only capitalize on it for so long. Yep, that, and like that's you said a key about point the others, too. It's a People huge don't point. Think about that. They've got a 10, no. like maybe a 10 year window, maybe for, for some of the really good players. How many players bust it their whole life to get into the NFL? They're in there for two years, maybe. And then they have some kind of a debilitating injury where they may not be able to walk and pick up their kids later on in their life or some kind of, you know, it's not quite as bad in baseball as it is in, in obviously because it's a different kind of sport. It's not a contact sport like some of the others, but how about basketball? You, you have some kind of an injury and you're never the same. You're back, you're back injured. I mean, I think people, they look at these, the, the, the sports athletes sometimes that make so much money and you put them on a pedestal and they're easy to tear down. But man, it's like some of these guys can go afterwards, guys or gals or whoever, you know, can go afterwards and, and maybe get into radio or maybe get into TV or get into announcing. But how many people, what's the percentage of them that do like one, maybe 1%, half of a percent of, of people that afterwards know where, what their next step in life is going to be. This what they do in these 10 years pays for their family and their future of their family for years to come. And that's for those who are lucky enough to get 10, right? I mean, two, the three, is, five, maybe I know. Yeah, yeah. The average in NFL, I think is like right around 2.9. So let's call it a three year. It's a three year shelf life. Like you pointed out, a lot of these guys are on league minimum, you know, probably about 38 to 40% of the NFL, for example, is, is on a league minimum contract. They only get paid like, you know, real bucks. And when, when they get to their second contract, but even that's not entirely true. You know, if you, you, to get paid the way that we process big money contracts in these sports, number one, you have to be a starter. Number two, you have to be a really, really good starter. And number three, to get the top dollars, you got to be top five in your position, right? So each position in the NFL has a top five, right? left tackle, right tackle, you know, D linemen, corners, safeties, quarterbacks, et cetera. So if you go five times, call it 22 on the playing field, a hundred people that are really, really getting paid, you know, and then, and then the rest, you know, you could probably go another hundred people, you know, the next five are getting paid pretty well below that. I mean, half the league, well, 40%, like I said, is, is kind of on the league minimum contract. Now, mm -hmm. people say, well, we're still making hundreds of thousands of dollars per year. And over a three-year period, all of them are exceeding a million. Sure. But let's just say those are the only three years that most people uh, have an opportunity to get in the league. Because as we established, the average shelf life for an NFL player is three years. 
That means that his entire skill set that he prepared his whole life for, he could only capitalize on it during a three-year period yep. versus a guy who or gal who you know goes through dental school. They're going to be able to capitalize on that until the day they decide they want to retire 60s, 70s, 80s, whenever it is. Even you know, if I told any dentist, hey, you can only make your a general money. contractor, anybody, people out sure. there like that, they, they can do, you know, you work in an office and you learn the secretary. It's just they have, there's a lot of skills that you've been doing this for forever from high school. Some of these these guys, a lot of them don't even never go to college even. Yeah, right. They get drafted well, straight. Talking about baseball. We're in the middle of the and, and, uh, MLB draft right now. You know, they actually did not have a lot of high schoolers yesterday, but I think that's because a lot of guys missed their senior year. Yeah, it was uh, different. This year was a hard year. It's different because you didn't exactly they missed their senior year. They didn't get to, to scout them there. So I think exactly. you're safer just picking the the kids that you saw in college. You know, exactly. Now, but you, you've got a buddy of yours. We had him on the show. He was a pupil of yours, I believe. But yep. uh, you teach him, uh, coach him in soccer, stuff like that. He was on uh, on our show before, and you know, uh, you follow him very closely. Obviously, how much money is he making? And how and if he gets to the big leagues and then how long does he have to be in the big leagues before he gets his payday? They could pretty much own him for five, seven, 10, 12 years. Never see daylight. I can. And how much has he made during the whole time just to try to fulfill a dream? I can promise you that what this kid has done since he was eight years old to be able to put himself in that situation right now, there are probably. Yeah, I mean, literally. Like I can't even put it into a percent how many how few of people would have been able to to like put up with the kind of crap that he did just to work, to work, to work, to have your dad or your coach or your trainer beat up on you in that sense. You know what I mean? Exactly. When you don't want to get up, when you don't when you feel sick, when it's a day that you, that your friends are out partying and stuff. I don't think people understand how much a lot of these guys sacrifice guys, gals, whoever, to get to that point. Oh, the dedication I, I seen it firsthand. I talk about another one of my friends, Ryan Tucker. And by the way, I didn't mention his name, so I apologize yeah, for but, that. Yeah, uh, Derby. Bubba. Bubba Derby. Yep. yep. And yeah. then another one of my buddies, Ryan Tucker, um, from about – still a good friend of mine. I talked to him you know, uh, a lot. And he we, – we were – he went to Temple City High School, and then he uh, he got drafted in the – he was number 34 overall draft pick in the first supplement – in the first round, in the supplemental first round. So he, he got paid at $998,000 signing bonus just to sign. Never had to play a game and made a million dollars there. Um, the, the guy growing up, I would be at his house. We were 10 years old. Ten, I'm, I'm not joking. 10 years old. It, in the summer, we're you know, th- swimming, doing whatever. He had alarms set for certain times of the day, 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock. I don't care what he was doing at that point. He stopped everything he was doing, and at 2 o'clock, he went and he was doing his hour-long workouts with a medicine ball. At 3 o'clock, he, had a, he was doing resistance training with a pulley, which you didn't even see a whole lot back then. He's got it on his foot, and he's stretching his arm all the way up. He's doing these exercises over with his arm and like how he's releasing the ball. And then he'd have another hour where he's doing the Tom House pitching video with all the different exercises. And it doesn't sound like a lot, but I'm telling you, two to three hours every day of this guy's life from when he was 10 years old, he had the discipline to stop what he was doing. If we were at a park... He had it sitting there like on on a little like, you know, he'd have, he'd have it on a phone or something that he could watch. I, it was unbelievable. I, I never realized it. And then that's why you get there. People just say, oh, you're you can hit a baseball. Yeah, it doesn't just happen that way. It, it just doesn't happen like that. No, it doesn't. By the way, you know, when you're going to feel really old <laughs> is when your buddy, he said his name is Ryan Tucker. Yep. When Ryan Tucker's son 
is a first round prospect, yeah. that's when you're going to feel really old because that's what's going on with me right now. Yeah. So, yeah. so uh, the first round draft pick, I believe it was 92, it was my graduating year, um, was Steve Soderstrom to the San Francisco Giants. He made it up to the bigs, didn't have the career that many expected. Right now, his son, his name may be already called out, I'm not sure yet, but Tyler Soderstrom, he is a first round graded player. He's an absolute phenom, and uh, he's, he's actually a catcher, but he could probably play a lot of different positions. His dad, Steve, was a pitcher, you know, threw gas. Even in today's standards, he throws, throws gas, and, uh, you know, he had some arm problems and stuff like that. So, like I said, he didn't have, like, a super established MLB career, but when I heard Steve's son is, like, old enough to be, you know, considered a prospect, and now here we are, he's going to be taken in the first round. It's like, Wow. Yeah, so, anyways, yeah. if if yeah, any yeah. if any of you guys are baseball fans and your team and lands Tyler Soderstrom, he comes from a really good pedigree. And he probably has the best coach you could imagine at home teaching him the game. You know, from a pitcher's perspective and what he needs out of the catcher, I think this guy's going to be the real deal. So we're you know we're talking about all of this because um, baseball is, is going back and forth. So I think the dance so far, we're getting set for a first commercial break. I'm sure we'll continue probably talking about this uh, a little more on into the, the next, uh, the next segment. But I think the dance so far that we've had was 114 games. Then it was 50. Then it was 76. Then it was 89. I think we were the, the back and forth that we've had so far. Um, because I, I think the reason why Rob Manfred hasn't come in and immediately just mandated a shorter season, which he can do, Mike. Yeah, they have right? the nuclear can, option of 48, right? He can just come in and say, hey, this is how many games you're playing. Boom, 48 games. We're doing this. I think the reason why they're not doing that is because they, they're trying to keep things positive. Obviously, one between the players and the union, uh, the, the, the union nobody, and the owners. Nobody really wants to piss each other off. But two, next year, that... CBA uh, expires at the end of the 2021 season. So literally, if something bad happens here or if they try to mandate something to the players, the players are going to turn around next year at the end of the season and they're going to tell them to F off, the owners. That's, I think that's why there's, there's a little bit more of a dance. I think if this was three or four years down the line, we wouldn't see as much of, of both sides kind of sticking their feet into the ground. But I think with this a little more... Or maybe we, or maybe we just seen Manfred just say, "Hey, I don't care what you guys say. We're doing this forty-eight game season." I think they're trying to at least make that some sort of a compromise into the sixty-seventy game range, so that way the owners don't completely railroad the players to where the players are going to say, "Hey, we're striking at the end of next year already." And also, I think there's one other thing that might might be a factor. I don't really, uh, you know, I'm not an expert on on MLB's CBA, but if it's anything like the NBA's, you know, my my guess is that. If MLB mandates something like that and the players aren't happy, some of them may decide not to play. Because what exactly. I'm reading is that the NBA has players that are contemplating not playing. And I was like, wow, that's that's an option for them, apparently. Uh, you know, I don't like, think that's an option for NFL players um, in light of this COVID-19 stuff, unless there's maybe some kind of extenuating circumstances, like somebody's got you know pre-existing condition I think or that's what, something I think that's like the key. that. Like, for example, um, I, I was literally just listening not long before we started our show, and it was uh, Brian Windhorse, and he was talking a little bit about this. This and like um, he he hasn't uh, specifically said anything or like said he doesn't want to play, but like you know James Harden has asthma. Mm. You know 
that's just you know you don't think about it because he's it's such a phenomenal shape and he you know it obviously doesn't affect him really when he's on the court but is that something that could affect him catching the virus or being more more likely to catch the virus sure i mean if you've got any kind of lung issue the last thing that you need is a pandemic that affects the lungs so what about you know and and the thing with um in the nba too that that they've been talking about like you know mike d'antoni's 70 years old Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. uh, there's yeah. a, there's a, there's and I'm a sure there's there's probably a diabetic or two in the league. Sure, you know, um, I'm, I'm sure there's Cancer there's a lot of survivors that, here and yep. there. There's a couple yep. that we probably don't know. You know, like me, I'm I'm more prone to this kind of a thing. So that's what gets tricky. Is that um, what they were kind of saying is if you were one of these players that didn't feel like if you and and maybe you're thinking about it and you don't feel like your team has the opportunity to win, do you say screw it? I'm going to sit out. I think that's kind of what the NBA was doing in they only bringing they're only going to be bringing back 22 teams to play. They're not even going to have the other 8 teams in the league finish their the rest of their season because at, they're they're assuming every chance they can only only have as many teams, players, personnel in this bubble that are absolutely needed. So it, yeah, it's going to start to get tricky now because the NBA did did it kind of opposite as baseball did, right? The NBA said Boom! We're here's the date. They voted on it. They agreed, and now the things that are starting to come out. Like there's a whole lot of specifics in the NBA that really need to be worked out in the la- in the next six weeks because we don't know things like like just like what you said. Some of these players that don't feel good, they didn't really get the opportunity to to, to voice you know to, to speak their voice. It was just one of those like uh, real quick kind of proxy votes. Those those never really work out well. So. I mean, I know we need to, to take a break, but I'm sure we'll continue talking about these two. It seems like like basketball and baseball are the two that are mainly in the news right now because um, they're the ones that are discussing. And I mean, with the NBA, they've already said we're back July 31st. Yeah, and I, th- and I think that probably, you know, that's that's a that's a factor that's under consideration when we're talking about. You know, your point, which is why hasn't Manfred just laid down the law? I think they really probably want their buy-in, the other side to be excited, and that the number of players that do not engage is really, really minimal, if any at all. Let's continue with that thought in a moment, though. Yeah, I think if it wasn't a pandemic, he would say, screw it. I'm putting it in. I agree. 100%. Stay with us, everyone. We'll continue down this path of MLB, NBA, MLB draft, and everything else in the sports world right after this. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Want to play the ponies and win? At Winning Ponies, we go inside and behind the scenes with the top jockeys, trainers, and handicappers. The Winning Ponies Radio Show with John Englehart, racing's regular guy, is the perfect complement to the Winning Ponies handicapping website. Catch us live every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Win prizes just for calling in. Have we got a high-energy, all-access sports show for you. It's Outside the Huddle, starring Lemond Williams. Each week, join Lemond as he takes callers, discusses the week's top stories in the world of sports, and sits down with active and former players to discuss their transition from sports to business. 
Outside the Huddle is a great resource for players making career transitions both on and off the field. Tune in Wednesdays at 8 p.m. Eastern, 7 Central, and 5 Pacific for Outside the Huddle on the Voice America Sports Channel. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. This is the Mike Abadir Show. If you want to call in today, we can be reached at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to Mike at themikeabadirshow.com. Now, back to this week's program. Back here on the Mike Abadir Show, and um, we're talking baseball and basketball as the uh, NBA has agreed to return on either July 30th or 31st. They're going to have to figure out a lot of the specifics in the next few weeks. Baseball, they've gone the other way. They're trying to get all the specifics figured out before baseball has a very strong players union that's like a little bit different than uh, some of the other sports. So they have a little more power here. Um, but you had said yesterday, or you had said, Mike, that, that Rob Manfred, we, we record the show on Thursday. Um, Manfred had a, a conversation with Carl Rabich on Wednesday. That was right before the draft. He said the league will soon provide a responsive proposal to the latest offer, which was an 89-game season from the MLBPA. And he said, in a quote, he is 100% sure that there will be a season. And I did see players who are still frustrated have all had that same sentiment. Like Trevor Bauer, I've seen some people out there that have been asked, even just by random fans on social media, do you think there's going to be a season? Yes, absolutely, 100%. We're just kind of frustrated going back and forth. So I, that seems more positive than I think things were just a week ago. Could it be, this is kind of like one of those like ridiculous hypotheses, but sometimes ridiculous <laughs> ones uh, pan out to be true. Could it be just one of those things where they kind of don't want another spring training. So they're kind of like, okay, let's just waste a little bit of time. Well, instead of a, a month long, let's just get like a 10 day, two week, whatever, and then get started. You know, if you if you get it close to the deadline, then you can't have as long of a spring training, perhaps. I don't know. That might be kind of a ridiculous thing. But I was kind of thinking about that with a lot of the vets and stuff. They're like, you know what? We're staying in shape. We just want to start playing ball. But on a more serious note, um, this is a little bit more of the geeky side of me in terms of being a baseball lover. Some of these, the number of games are kind of random. And I was kind of thinking about it. I'm like, you know what I'd, I'd like to see is an 81 game season. That way you could just kind of double the stats and know what it would project over a full season. And make it really clean, right? Yeah. Yeah. I kind of like that. You know, somebody hits 23 home runs. I'm like, oh, okay. Bellinger would have hit 46. You know what I mean? That's not for sure, but you know what I mean. Like, yeah, I, it's I, just like easier to project. project yeah, because uh, baseball's the few, the only like. Ba- I think the one thing that that people get really frustrated about with this is that if you are someone who's a big baseball fan and um, you know you've been a big baseball fan for a long time, it is of all the sports, the numbers and the records are the most sacred. For sure, of, of any of the sports, it's not even sure. close. Like you, you won't, you don't know. I mean, I used to be able to go through like every year who was the batting champ, the home run champ, like all that stuff when you were little. It became a little bit less, you know, important as you get older because stats kind of evolve and what what stats are important, this or that. But I mean, you don't ever know, like off the top of your head, a string of who was the you know NFL MVP or offensive player of the year or things like that, or or, or even even it, it just it doesn't the same in in 
in the NFL, in the NBA, yeah, I guess like the MVPs and some of the all the all NBA awards are pretty important, but it's just it's way different in baseball. I think that that rubs a lot of people the wrong way. They don't like the idea of there being a baseball season that's you know, 70 games, 90 games, 100 games. That isn't the, that we can't look at the numbers and kind of figure and figure them out. Sort of what you were just saying. Yeah, like I don't know if, uh, you know, 89 game season, then, I mean, is is a six win season for a pitcher good or not? You know what I mean? Like that kind of thing. So I'm kind of thinking about it. I'm like, okay, you know, what would be a really good season? Somebody has like a, a 20 and six record. So an 81 game season, if somebody's 10 and three, then I'm like, you know, what? he had a really, really good year. You know, if you get to these like 114 and, and, and 89 is a little bit easier because it's close to 81. But, you know, 70 or 114 or some of these like oddball numbers, kind of hard for me to evaluate how strong or how weak of a, of a season. So, and I'm assuming, by the way, that if you have an 81 game season and, and a player typically plays between 148 and 154, then out of 81, they're probably playing 75, 77, somewhere in that window. So you could still be able to kind of project out in a typical, you know, whomever, Mookie Betts season where he plays 154 out of 162. This is what the season look would look like if you just double the stats. Um, that's, to me personally, I'm not going to balk at any number because I want to see them play, of course. And that really is the bottom line here. Um Interesting thing, though, Gino, we're talking about the present, the immediate present in the short term. In the long term, obviously, you build these teams via the MLB draft. There isn't going to be a minor league season this year. Uh, the draft has been shortened. A, do you have any concerns just kind of about the future of these ball clubs and the talent that we're going to see? Because every player in MLB got one year older. Just like that, whether they have a season or not. And then all the young guys didn't get any experience at all this year whatsoever, which really sucks. And then the part B of that is a little bit disappointing with everything going on in the world around us. And the big discussion is race relations, especially in the black community, that we've only seen two black players drafted so far. And I'd like to address the part B of that. But what are your thoughts on on the first part that I mentioned? Uh, man, I, I, I don't think that we, I, I, I just think one thing that's been really weird over the last couple of weeks is that mm-hmm. I, with um, all the protests and stuff going on, it's almost like, you know, and I understand, I think a lot of people kind of forgot about the, the not forgot about the virus, but it was like, okay, we're focusing in on these, on the protests and everything now. And it, it's almost like we're trying to to jump right past something that still isn't completely <laughs> that it still isn't completely out of out of there yet. So I, I don't know. I, I'm I'm having a hard time with you know and, and the second part of your the second part. I mean the, the race stuff is just it's really it, it's been a problem in baseball now for a long time, right? I, this has been a major problem in baseball for a long time. Where are the players coming from? Um, and this is I think this is something that goes back to with what we were saying about the owners and maybe needing to invest. I just don't think the, the folks out there um, when you're at home, when you're a young kid growing up, when you, you know, are watching sports on TV, what sports are you flipping on first? It's probably football. It's probably basketball and baseball is probably third. Um, and I don't, I don't think that they've done a good enough job 
trying to fix that. I think horse racing kind of had a a similar situation right now too, over the last few months, we talked about it. Some of these racetracks did a good, did, did a good job staying safe, did a good job, um, you know, putting cards together. We didn't really see, this would have been a great time for them to be like marketing commercials all over the place, letting folks know that horse racing is still going. You can still make a wager, get to one of these sites, blah, blah, blah. We didn't, we didn't see any of that. None of that. They just didn't like this would have been a perfect time. Do you remember those uh, go baby go commercials? Absolutely. That, I mean, that campaign was was really big. I mean, that it was funny. People was liked it. It was funny. Goofy. People liked it. How? Why wouldn't you drop something like that right now? Because they didn't care. Because it just comes down to not caring. And that's what's 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 a bummer with baseball. You hope it doesn't it doesn't get to this point where um, the fans stop caring because this has happened multiple times now. The strike seasons, and I, that's why. I'm convinced that there's going to be a season two. I think that, that there's enough smart people on both sides of this argument in baseball that understand that if they didn't play baseball right now, this year, with everything going on, they may never recover. Probably not, especially because the first part that I mentioned, right? Instead of a, you know what's close to a 50-round draft, you got five rounds, right? So 90% of it was basically eliminated. You have forfeited an entire minor league season in terms of development. So let's There's just say they don't play players major league baseball that would be this year on on rosters right now. That oh are yeah, not. so and, and a lot of guys got released exactly. So so if, if you don't have a, a major league season, you don't have a minor league season, and you really don't have much of a draft. Like, what is the future of baseball? I mean, doesn't it, it's it's not on an uptick. That's for sure. I mean, it would be a huge, huge momentum shift. In a sport that I thought, and I remember us having conversations on the air, that it felt like there was a positive momentum, that there was maybe a little bit of an uptick in terms of the the baseball talk that was out there during the trade deadlines, during the postseason. Even the stuff with the Astros. Yeah, Yeah. the cheating or leading up to seasons. Like Baseball has done a better job intentionally and unintentionally, um, you know, finding – a place in in the national headlines quite a bit over the last couple of years, but this would be a huge void that I don't know if they could overcome. Really, no, I, don't I mean, think I don't they- think it'll ever get down to like hockey level, but you know, it could get problematic. You know, where you have you know stadiums or ballparks that fill forty five thousand seats, where they're consistently getting you know mid twenties or something like that, It'd just be a bad look, and it would just not feel like the baseball that I grew up with. You know, which was America's pastime still, you know, a very revered sport. And on, 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 in terms of the black discussion, I think there's a couple, there's probably three factors that I could quickly and unscientifically kind of identify. The first one is Michael Jordan. I think Michael Jordan, what he did for the NBA, and sure, there was Larry and Magic, you know, 10 years before him, but what Michael Jordan did in terms of making basketball really, really cool, really, really exciting. It landed basketball on, on the map in a more pronounced way than any other athlete, probably since like Muhammad Ali for boxing. Okay. And I think it got a lot of people thinking, you know what? We want to fly like Mike. We, I want to be like Mike. Yep. And I think a lot of kids kind of started migrating to basketball at that time. And I th- so I think I think that's I don't know if that's something that people ever talk about, but I think that was huge. Even though the guy himself loved baseball enough to go play it on a professional level, they do. You know, but and and I think it all started there with him. 
and be and with with the start with him, the NBA in general has done an unbelievable job since Michael of continuing to promote and elevate their stars. Absolutely. We all know every one of they do it better than any sport. It's not even close. For I sure. mean, we know the the second best player like on every basketball team, and they feel like a big deal. There are a lot of people who would walk right past Mike Trout and not know who he was. Oh yeah. But if you All walked right, right by West, Westbrook, Harden, I mean, you know, you would know what at least a few players from every team look like exactly when you walked right by them. Sure. And and football does a a pretty good job of that too. I think more more with I think a lot of that has had to do with the last few maybe the last decade of people really getting into fantasy football too. You know, we we know all the skill players. Everybody does. We, they they know all the wide receivers, all the running backs, all the quarterbacks, and and then like a lot of the defensive linemen and, and really good defensive players. We know their kickers because we know their names. You know what I mean? We so it it's just in baseball. I don't know. I mean, how many baseball players feel like they get promoted or feel like they're a big star? We should know more. We should see Mookie Betts more out there. His face. We should see Kershaw out there more. Bellinger. You know, we should see. We we just don't. And if it's someone that's in a, that's not, that doesn't play your team often, like, you know, my mom, a huge Dodger fan, she knows everything about every player on the Dodgers, knows like every player on the Giants and on the the D-backs and on the Padres, but some of the American League teams, she doesn't know some of the best players. Yeah, I'm going to tell you another reason for that, Gino, by the way, and uh, that's salaries. Now, why do I say Mm -hmm. that? Because back in the day, starting from Babe Ruth on through Mickey Mantle and even like Joe DiMaggio up until the day he died, Steve Garvey, Reggie Jackson, on and on and on, were in commercials. You saw them in a lot of commercials. Yeah. Right? And one of the reasons for that is because, you know, their agents or agencies or marketing reps would be like, hey, you've got a golden opportunity. you got to make as much money as you can. You made 100000 uh, playing baseball, we could probably make you another twenty-five thousand in advertising. Right now, Kershaw, after the season's over, you're not going to see him until spring training. You don't see him at all, then nothing. right? He doesn't have to, you're right? That's, that's a good so, point. Good so point. a lot of these guys no longer have to do that, and so they spend time with their families. It's actually pretty amazing how many baseball players um, are married and have children. It's like a pretty high number when you think about it. Like, I don't think it mirrors, you know, society for guys between 20 and 30. You know what I mean? People that are going to be gone so much of the year. Yeah. Right? Like, they're double any other sport. Yeah. Like, like if you take just like a random sample of of men between, you know, 22 and 30, it would not be as high of a percentage in terms of those who are married as Major League Baseball players. I don't know why that is. I just find it to be kind of interesting. And so because of that, and you got enough money, you want to spend time with your family, you shut it down for the off-season, except for when you meet with your trainer a couple times a week, and that's about it. You're unseen, unheard of, and uh, you're not Outside at all. Outside of mind. Yeah, I mean, it, because it's not necessary. So I think that's, a, that's probably one aspect of things. Because, like I said, I remember, you know, you'd see Reggie Jackson and even Wiener Schnitzer commercials. We're not just a hot dog anymore. 
I mean, even that Sosa and McGuire were all over the place during those years. I mean, you remember we saw them out all over, or you'd see players that at, at other events that would be mm-hmm. kind of hosting an event, or you see them on Saturday Night Live, you know, something like that, oh, yeah. or somewhere. Oh, yeah. It just didn't doesn't feel like for and maybe the reason, like you said, they make so much money they don't have the need to, but no, for some like a, either for like publicity or the league in general, nobody's giving them a nudge and saying, "Hey, we need your face out there." We no. want. We need people to know who you are because you you help make this league go. If there aren't stars, it's, it sounds funny. I know we're getting ready to take a commercial break, but um, I, I like to bring you know wrestling into things a lot of the time. I'm a huge wrestling fan. This is a problem that the WWF has, has kind of come into in the last few years because they are now in the. It, they're not in getting behind one person and making them a star. They're about making the WWE the brand. And what ends up happening is, you know, you have you never nobody has ever written or or built up to be like a real badass anymore. And so you have people that are trading wins, they go back and forth, and it just feels like you have an entire group of people who are all on the same level. There's no star. I wonder sometimes if MLB is like that too. It's like they want the brand MLB. They don't necessarily elevate their stars, which is what you have to do in anything. You have to put the the faces of the good-looking people or the people that people care about or the ones that are the best at what they do up front and center. We have to see them. You know, uh, as we lead into this commercial, I remember distinctly remember being 12 years old and Will Clark, the San Francisco Giants for his baseman, was going to be at Rule Dale Auto Plaza signing autographs in Modesto, California. <laughs> and, man, I'll tell you, the line, the, the talk about it, first of all, there was, not a, there was not a kid in Modesto that wasn't just super excited for this to happen. The line, I mean, people were getting there like a 7 a.m. for like a 3 o'clock signing. You know, the line was enormous enormous for this everybody was super stoked for it. people brought bats and gloves and you name it and the 88 Fleer baseball card set had just come out and in the first pack that I opened I got a Will Clark card and that was the day before and I took it to Ruledale Auto Center Auto Plaza and I had Will sign it and he looked at it and he was like oh wow these are out this is a really nice looking card and for anybody who's got who knows the 88 Fleer cards it was a white card with some really faint stripes kind of going diagonally. They stop when the picture comes, and then they continue out the other side. And I remember I was like, I could actually tell people that I'm the first person on the planet to get this autograph by <laughs> Will Clark. <laughs> yeah. You know, and there was cool. enough witnesses that people do. I still have that card, by the way. So stay with us, everyone. We'll take a quick commercial break. We'll keep talking baseball all the way through the end. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Racers and Rental Cars is the program for wannabe pro racers and those interested in the racing profession and automotive industry. Join hosts Cameron Ferre and Don O'Neill as they take you behind the scenes with previews and review for race day. It's about the business as well as the fun. We've got the scoop, the guests, the discussion, and the WTF moments. All you need to do is bring your ears. Racers and Rental Cars heard every Saturday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern, right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. 
Sports continues to grow and evolve to ever-increasing prominence in today's society. On All Around Sports, host John Inglesby will connect with the leading newsmakers from the sports world, including players, owners, and fellow sports journalists discussing the top news and events that are relevant to sports today. John will also report from and offer his experience of the world's top sports events. Tune into All Around Sports with John Inglesby, Mondays at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Variety Channel. This is the Mike Abadir Show. If you want to call in today, we can be reached at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to Mike at themikeabadirshow.com. Now, back to this week's program. Closing things out here on the Mike Abadir Show, talking a lot about uh, the NBA and their plans to return at the end of July and baseball and what their plans are in their, their back and forth and back and forth. So, well, Gino, before we before we continue on that that topic necessarily, I did want to go back to something in terms of the black baseball player and the black athlete, if I may. Please. So the first thing that I said was Michael Jordan. And I kind of gave my reasons for that. So, you know, a lot of a lot of black kids growing up wanted to be like Mike. They just started playing baseball. They wanted to get his shoes. They wanted to wear his shorts the same way he wore them, the those longer shorts, and that became a fad. And then it continued on really soon after with the Michigan Fat Five. Right. And I think that really, really cemented things for kids like, hey, basketball is cool. It's really cool. And that that was a really fun team with Jalen Rose and Chris Weber. And, you know, I'm, I'm sure I know you're, you're a little bit younger, but I'm sure you remember the Michigan Fat Five and what that did for college basketball elevated it to a level along with Duke and Chesky and everything to new heights that uh, that had never been seen before in terms of popularity and TV ratings, et cetera. I'm going to take you back a little bit farther, though. Let's not forget that at one point in time, blacks were not allowed to play baseball. And there were the Negro Leagues. And the Negro Leagues were super immensely popular. I mean, it was, they were were packed houses for all of these games. And so what happened was, when you had Jackie Robinson break that color barrier and get into baseball, you had every black person in America rooting for him to succeed, right? And then you had a second player uh, with the Cleveland Indians, and then a third player I believe it was with the Phillies, and then a fourth player, and fifth player, and so on and so forth. And before you know it, you have a fully integrated Major League Baseball community that has a lot of black participation. And I think what happened at that time was you had a lot of grandparents that were sharing stories you know, with their grandkids, and dads who were sharing stories with their son. And it was a really special thing in that community. And I don't necessarily want to get into the the statistical data about fathers in black families and stuff like that. But I guess the main point that I want to make is I think it coincides with some of that data. As you had a less of a familial structure, there wasn't that same kind of passing the baton of love for baseball and the desire to play from the generation of grandfather to father to son. And I think that kind of broke probably in the 80s. By the time, and that coincides with the emergence of Michael Jordan and basketball. So I think there's some real, like, logical reasons for this. And then you come to the realization that, well, I'm not six foot six. I'm not six nine. I'm not six eleven. But I'm really fast. 
so you migrate towards football, mm-hmm. right? So it kind of divided things three-way. Instead of the community really, really looking to baseball, because if you recall, basketball was a pretty white sport. If you watch highlights from the 50s or whatever, it wasn't dominated by the black community. Not at all. It was no. kind of a white game. And That's all why people talk are... about like Bill Russell and some of yeah. them back there. It's like they're, exactly. they're playing against guys who had other jobs you know, throughout the yeah. year that weren't even full-time basketball players. <laughs> exactly right. So I think, I think some of those things kind of are a part of it. And then the last thing would be what you said, which is investment. Major League Baseball, I think, thought you know, they're going to be there forever. Same like horse racing. You know, that what, no matter what we do, we are beloved. We are the sport of kings. It's we are America's pastime. Right. And so they didn't invest. They didn't invest in certain communities. Now, I know the RBI program has come about, and I know that's produced some major leaguers who are black. And in that, it's a success. Uh, and for those who aren't familiar with it, a very good program, very nice program. It should be far more abundant in way more cities. But the long and the short of it is it basically brings baseball to the inner city and introduces them, uh, uh, you know, to to the game and provides them opportunity where there are some expenses in baseball that the uh, program absorbs, bats, gloves, cleats, etc. So it's pretty nice. And then I, I think the, the, the other thing, too, to keep in mind is not everywhere is a warm weather state. So it just becomes more convenient to play basketball, right? So, because uh, indoors, um, even though outdoor basketball courts are super popular in New York, etc., but that's only in the summertime. So I think those are some of the reasons for it, but... With that said, I think what I'm most hopeful for, Gino, is that the last few drafts have produced, even though a small number of black athletes, the ones that are coming up through the system are really good. And I'm really excited to see them. And I think once you have a lot of stars, that's kind of when it gets a lot of attention from certain communities. Just like in the same way, if you're Japanese or Korean and you come over and you do well, you start seeing an influx of players from those countries come in. Dominicans, same thing. Puerto Ricans, same thing, right? So I think when you see a lot more black players doing well here, that um, th- there's no better marketing than that. That's my opinion. Man, it's it's a bummer because there's so many um, similarities between the sports that you just mentioned, um, baseball yeah. and horse racing. Yeah. There really are because they were, you know, you look back in the, as you mentioned, like, you know, 50 years, 60 years ago, and every baseball stadium and every horse racetrack was packed, and they were the sport of the top of the line sport of kings. I mean, dude, football wasn't, football's really only been the last 20 years, like, yeah. it, like as major as it is yeah. now. It really, I mean, the NFL it really started like a, with like the mid 80s and kind of the resurgence of like Marino, Montana, Elway, yeah, Young. Yeah, and, and like in and the early guys. 90s. Yeah, I mean, but it's like before it didn't have a good stigma. The NFL didn't. The NBA no. had an awful stigma. Mm-hmm. I mean, during like the 70s and stuff, there was so much it was drugs. On tape delay. And, it was and on all, tape delay, too. It was like, horrible. Was right. You, the Laker games were funny. I used to be able to bet with when we're not even talking about. I was working at Islands, one of my favorite stories, and the bartender, my buddy John, he didn't realize that the the Lakers games were on still on tape delay at that point. So I d- drove into work and I'd been listening to the game on the radio live. And then as I pull up, you know, they've got the, the, the simulcast on KCAL and the Lakers are still warming up. They're playing against Boston and, and they're in, in, in Boston. And I said, oh, yeah, I forgot about the Laker game tonight. I said, you know, you want to make a bet? I'll bet you that at halftime, the Lakers are down exactly 20 points. And I said, if, it, if it's not exactly 20 points, I lose the bet. He was like, what? 
So if they're down by 18 or 22 or ni- anything else, if they're winning, like, no, I was like, that's it. They're going to be down exactly 20 points. I, I bet you this. I guarantee it. $20. <laughs> and, and of course, they were, you know, and, we, and he's, I can't believe it. And, and as we're watching the half, he's going, there's no way. How, how are you doing this? How do you, you know, and we we're just laughing. And then I told, I, I took the 20, but I didn't even keep it. I told him afterwards. Yeah, yeah. It, but that's it's just, funny. it's amazing that that's. And that know, wasn't that long ago. No, that was, I was. 22 years old that was 10 years ago 11 years ago yeah Yeah. that's crazy well speaking of uh horse racing we are uh right around the corner from the belmont week from this saturday and that's going to be a fantastic card top to bottom i'm sure we'll be talking about that probably uh securing a guest or two to talk about the belmont but um now that we're here you know um my dad and i were talking about it and he was like this He's like, I'm glad that we have them. He's like, it's just really weird to me that the Kentucky Derby didn't go first, you know. Uh, and it, the, it the distance, it's kind of like hitting him back again. Like first, yeah. it's like, oh, they got, they got, they got. But then the reality kind of sets in. For me, it's really not that big of a deal. I'm looking forward to the card overall from top to bottom. You know, just the fact that it isn't a mile and a half race, though. It's to me, it's not the Belmont Stakes. Yeah, it's just and, and, the and, race that they called the Belmont. Yeah, you know? it, 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 I think they probably. I understand what they were doing. It, this is one of those things where, like, if they just called it like the New York Derby for three-year-olds or whatever, nobody would care. And if it was at a mile and an eighth, like nobody would. There would be no hubbub. There's just the hubbub because it was. It's the Belmont that people assume it's got to be the mile and a half and it's got to be longer. And I agree with you. I think, and I, I, I would never want the Triple Crown changed or the Belmont shortened in any any sense. I think that I think they were just a little screwed because the. You can't go a mile and a half before you go a mile and a quarter. Uh, and none of these courses have gone a mile and a quarter. So yeah. I, um, it would have been just just like logistically, you couldn't really have kept it at a mile and a half and then go back. Um, logistically, and, and it, probably safety-wise, right? For yeah, the, no, no, exactly. Yeah, and yeah. what's, what's, what's kind of sucked about this now is that I think a lot of people and the connections are treating the Belmont like it's just eh, race. They're using the Derby still as the race to circle that they want to plan towards, and, and that's the the you know the long term goal. And working backwards, a lot of them are skipping the uh, the Belmont now, even running in the bluegrass. So you don't in, think that we're going to get a full field of sixteen? I think we'll get. Saying. I think we'll get probably ten. But what what right now in just the last week we've had Nadal or two weeks Nadal Charlatan they were both supposed to be in that race they're both out Maxfield was going to be was going to run. Actually, he was going to skip that race and go to the bluegrass. He's out. They've said horses like New York traffic pointing to the bluegrass. He's going to be skipping this race. So right now you have Tis the Law. You have a horse like Tap It to Win, who they supplemented. They said they're going to run. Um, but but a lot, I mean, probably the horses who would have been your two of the top three betting choices are now out of that race. And it, it's basically like Tis the Law as the, as the number one. I think we're going to get a really good undercard. It's just um, this has been one of those weird years. We see the the attrition from three year olds on the Derby Trail all along, and in, in a year like this where you had gaps in training, tracks that were weren't opening up, how, how hard must that be to have a to circle a date on your calendar and try to point a horse to something that you don't even know what's going on? Yeah, yeah. Look, the whole thing is just really odd. And even, you know, I know we've got to wrap up here, but even like at a much smaller scale and probably a very little interest nationwide, but I'm into it. The California Fair Circuit, being from Northern California. Oh, I'm pumped for that. that. Yeah. That's something I've always loved. 
And we still, I don't know what was the outcome of today's CHRB meeting, but even the announcement was made that the fairs were not going to be running at all. They were, you know, if we're not going to have the actual fair, then we're not going to run the, the races. Well, Golden Gate's closing a shop on Sunday. It's a, it's the last day of the meet, mandatory payouts. And I look at Equibase and I see that they're going to be going to Pleasanton, but then they've got Pleasanton listed throughout the month, which tells me, are they getting Sacramento's dates as well? I thought Golden Gate was still fighting for those dates. Santa Rosa is not going to be running. There's It just, to me, like they're almost like making it up as, as, as they go. There's not a lot of quality information even somebody hit up Vic, and he's like, "All I know is that I'm the announcer for the fairs." <laughs> so, uh, but he didn't know, didn't even know the specifics. I know Ferndale canceled as well. Once again, I know it's not a huge deal. Everybody's probably like, "Oh, it's the California fair circuit." But hey, it's the alternative to SoCal. It's the Nor- NorCal circuit, and uh, we'll find out, I guess, uh, what, how this all plays out. I think they're deciding that today, Gino. But yep, that is all the time we've got. So, thank you for listening. We'll see you same time, same place next week. Thanks for joining us this week for the Mike Abadir Show. Please tune in again next Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time and 4 p.m. Pacific Time for another show with Mike and his co-host, Gino Bacola, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a great week.